You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. I love this time of year, January, February. Everybody's seen all their family. Everybody's spent all their money. And it's like, we're not going anywhere. And uh, so I'm glad. I love it when we are all here. And um, so thankful for that. We're going to be in the book of 1 John. We're continuing our series in 1 John, starting in chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 John. If you're new to your Bible, 1 John's way at the end of the New Testament. There's no shame in, in being new to your Bible. We're so glad you're here. If you have a question about the sermon, uh, you can scan that QR code right now and feel free to ask a question. And I think we'll have plenty of time at the end of the message today as we think about God's word and how it applies to our lives. Let me just read the whole text and then we're going to pick it apart piece by piece, illustrate it, explain it, apply it to our lives. This is 1 John chapter 4 starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you help us right now to have open hearts, open eyes, open ears, like like you've said in your word, ears to hear. Lord, may there be ears to hear this morning. Lord, may you comfort the humble. Would you humble the proud? Um, Would you do your work through your word this morning that is necessary? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd be willing to bet that there is no more profound type of love in our world today than the love of a parent for a child. I remember when my kids were born. I've got three biological and one adopted. It's like you think you love your wife, and you do. Those kids come out, and it's like, oh, wow, there's, there's levels to this deal, Right? And I love my wife, but the way you love your kids is just different. It's not better or worse. It's, it's just different. The parenting kind of love is ferocious. It's tenacious. It's really, really beautiful. And we love our kids. And I know parenting decently well. I've been doing it for almost 21 years now. Um, and I know it enough to know that 
it doesn't always feel like love in the moment. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Oftentimes it feels like being held hostage by a sippy cup wielding terrorist, right? But at the end of the day, we, we love our kids so much it, it, it hurts. And for most of us, what that means is we want to keep them close. That's our impulse. That's our instinct. Keep these kids close. Like when they're little, you know, it's like mama bear, head on a swivel, where are my kids? Got to know where they are at all times. Love compels us to that, right? And as, as they get older, we start to gradually, developmentally, appropriately send them in different ways, right? So we might send them to a babysitter. We might send them next door to play with their friends. We might send them outside to ride their bikes in the cul-de-sac. They get older and they get sent off to school sometimes. Maybe they get sent off to camp for the first time. This is one that we're coming to terms with. They're sent off with the car and the car keys. Like that's, I know a lot of you got littles in the room, but it's coming. And then for many of us, well, I know there's not many of us in the room, but some of us in the room, we send them off to college. And that can be a moment that I think is uniquely challenging, uniquely emotional. Like with our oldest son, Taylor, we sent him 10 minutes down the road. Uh, he got his own apartment. We go into MATC, doing a great job there. Moved out. Um, so that wasn't quite as dramatic. And it's, plus it's like when, when it's your son, for a, for a dad, it's like, grow up and be a man, rah. Uh, but with a daughter, that's different. It's like, man, like my, my, my daughter's up next, and in hopefully about seven months, she's going to try to uh, go to Moody in Chicago, and I can already feel that stirring in me something different. Like a dad with a daughter, that's a different deal. It's not like grow up and be, rah. it's like, baby, how much money do you need? Like, whatever. <laughs> like, I'll take care of you, you know? But it's like these kids are going to live their life apart from us, and it gradually happens. It's very, very normal. It happens every single day. But there can be this feeling of a bit of a rupturing in your family that you've known, right? Like what used to be will probably never be again in terms of the time we spend together, in terms of the meals around the table, in terms of maybe the Christmas traditions, the experience, the family vacations, like, you have a window of that, and it's never going to be the same. It's not going to be necessarily better or worse. It's just never going to be the same. And all of this is super normal, and it's really good. It's really good. It's the way that God designed it. Like, how do we know that it's good? Well, think of the, the opposite. What would the opposite be? If we never sent our kids off, out, anywhere, like, that's the definition of it, what it means to be sheltered, right? And we all instinctively, intuitively know that that kind of sheltering is really bad, borderline abusive in some cases, right? 
We send our kids in appropriate ways at appropriate times because we love them, right? We love our kids. But this sending, it can be painful. It can be painful at times, right? It can feel risky. But it's really good. But here's another angle on it that's even closer to the heart of the text this morning. And it's this. How can our kids be a blessing in the world for the sake of the gospel if they're never sent? If they never take risks? If we never have a willingness to release, right? If we as parents don't have the willingness to, quote, endure the pain and maybe a little sense of loss or a lot of sense of loss, like if we don't do that, what, what's going to happen? Like what would happen if we always insisted on them being with us until we die? You got to stay here. You got to live in my house. You can't go out, can't interact with the world. Like that's really, really unhealthy. There's something loving about this releasing, this sending. Well, that's kind of the whole point that I want you to see in our text this morning. In 1 John. And the question I want you to walk out of here with is, what is the essence of God's love? What is the essence of God's love? There's lots of different angles on it in the Bible, but from this text today, the text tells us today that God's love is a sending love. God's love is embodied, pictured, seen, enacted in history as a sending love, a sending love. Here's the main point today. God's love is a sending love for the sake of loving others. God's love is is ascending love for the sake of loving others. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John has said a lot in the book of 1 John about love and why that's important in the, in the church, why that's important for 2,000 years in our communities as churches, right? And here he just says it real black and white, real black and white. If there's no love in your life, probably you don't have a relationship with God. If you have genuine love for others, that's probably indicative that you have a relationship with God. You see it in the text? Now, that doesn't mean that anyone who is loving in any sense is necessarily a Christian. Don't think about it like that. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people at a church that have made a profession of faith, okay? And he's saying if people say that they're Christians, like y'all that are gathered in this ancient church who I'm writing to, John the Apostle, you guys say that you're Christians— and there's some false teachers out there that are saying they're Christians too that are trying to tell you crazy things and believe weird things about Jesus that aren't true. But here's the deal. If you say you're a Christian and you don't have any track record of loving, you might not be a Christian. But if you say you're a Christian and you do have a track record of loving, that's probably a strong evidence that you are a Christian and you should have assurance of faith and you should be assured that, that God's 
love is, is in you through his Holy Spirit. So no love, probably no relationship with God. Love for others, man, that's a great indicator. It's a great fruit that the tree is healthy. You see what I'm saying? But here's the problem. John, we need you to help us a little bit more. Because there's some distance between what he's writing and how we live. There's some distance between the Greek text and our English text, right? The question here you might be thinking about and that I'm thinking about is this word love. Like, can it have a little more definition? Can it have a little more explanation? Does Christian love, uniquely Christian love, have any unique shape to it? Because in our culture, as you guys know, the word love is used in a thousand different ways. Like, man, I love having an iPhone, right? Well, that, you know what that means. I love my wife. You know that those are different, right? I mean, she's hoping that they're different, right? Sometimes I spend a little too much time on the phone, and she's like, hey, honey, remember the difference? Um, but you guys know what I mean. The, the English word love can mean a lot of things. Just like I already said, with I love my wife, I love my kids, not the same, not better or worse, but different, right? And in Greek, there were three main words that we translate in English as love, phileo, eros, and agape. Phileo is like brotherly love, eros is like erotic love, and agape is what John is writing today. He's using the word agape. The word here is agape love. So what is agape love that John is writing about today? And what's that got to do with God being a God of love and his love is seen as ascending love? Well, agape love is always an acting love. And it looks to the benefit of the recipient of that love. Okay, so keep that in mind. It's, it's an it's a I'm, I'm going to show you my love by how I'm trying to bless you for the sake of your benefit. That would be one way to say it. That's what agape love looks like. It's fixated on the other person and their blessing and their benefit. How can I be selfless? It's a self-giving kind of love. So let's look at how that definition, that self-giving type of love, let's look at how that definition plays out in the rest of the text as we see that God's love is ascending love for the sake of loving others. So he's commanded, a, so let's review. He's commanded them to love one another. Question, John, what should that look like? And he's gonna say, great question, let me answer that. Verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if agape love is love in action with the desire to bless the recipient, love in action, so the next question might be, what are the verbs? Because verbs are action words, right? What are the verbs in verse 9 and 10? Look at it with your, with your eyeballs. The main verb 
I'm seeing that I want to emphasize is to send. Sending. In the past tense here, sent. Right? Sent. John wants them then and us now to see God's act of agape love towards us that he's going to call the church and is calling the church to reflect is this, the Father sent Jesus. The text is explicit. Look at verse 9. What does it say? In this, the love of God was made manifest. What does that mean? It's like you want to know what God's love looks like in real time, space, and history? You want to know what the manifestation of God's love is? Here it is. It's sending. Boom. See that? That's what John's saying. This is how God's love is manifest among us, in that God sent. Verse 10, loved us. Look at verse 10. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he has loved us. John, what does that look like? It looks like him sending, that he loved us and sent his son. So he says it twice. Remember, repetition is always for the sake of emphasis in the Bible. Love is is connected to sending. How did God love us? By sending. God's love is a sending love for the sake of loving others. So this is one major way that love is, is to find itself lived out in the local church. If this is one major way to conceive of God's love for us, how would this shape how we do church? Them, then, us, now. Like, what, is, what, do you, what does John have in mind You know, he's writing this. He wants to see this lived out among them, them then, and 2,000 years later, us now. What would that actually look like within the local church? This sending kind of love that he's called for us to reflect, and we're going to see that in a second. Well, think about what God's sending love is. What are maybe some emotions connected that connected to that? What what, what that might feel like? This could be potentially dangerous waters theologically to kind of dip into. But in some sense, it's mysterious that we don't fully understand. There was when Jesus died, sent to the world and died on a cross for our sins. There was a, a type of rupturing in the, the relationships of the Trinity that we don't fully understand. But the Bible implies it. There's lots of clues to it. It's mysterious. We don't fully understand. But most Orthodox theologians would say there was some type of rupturing in the Trinity when God, uh, when Jesus died on the cross. Okay? There's a mystery there. The Bible doesn't explain. It simply asserts. Through many clues, like Jesus saying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or think about it like this. Jesus in the garden, in agony in the garden. Father, if there's any other way to take this cup, meaning having to drink the cup of your wrath on sin in their place, if there's any other way 
That'd be great, but not, your, not, not my will, but your will be done. He's in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of theologians would say it's the idea of the rupturing of that relationship that was been beautiful for all eternity. But here's, here, here's another way to think about it. Many martyrs throughout the history of the church have walked headfirst into some horrible, torturous deaths with heads held high, no indication of fear. But here's Jesus in the garden, trembling. Father, if there's any other way. Like was, he, was he less courageous than them? Or is there something more going on? And again, it's, it's that prospect of being sent and, 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 and having there be this rupture in relationship, bearing the weight of sin, drinking the cup of God's wrath. That's why he says this cup, may it pass from me. The weight of that experience, whatever it was that we can't totally understand, but when Jesus was sent by the Father, there was this sort of rupturing of relationship, the eternal relationship that God has with himself in the Trinity. So in that type of sending, the bearing of that, that pain, what do we see? What, what shape does love take? Well, it, it looks like, what is that? It's generosity. It's selflessness. Like God saying, I'm going to give of myself through being sent to them so they can know me and be forgiven and I can be glorified in that. See, see the shape of God's love in the text? He didn't just stay as a trinity for all eternity. He was willing to send himself, pay the price of the sending for the sake of love. That's the shape of God's love. That's what sending looks like for God himself. The manifestation of God's love, that's what it looks like. So then what might that look like for us? None of us can be Jesus. We're, we're not going to be Jesus. That happened once and for all. Never to be repeated. But yet, we're called to love in the same way. I think it looks like a willingness to be uncomfortable through sending generously of our time, relationships, and resources for the sake of those who need them. Sending or maybe spending time, sending relationships, sending resources, this is what love might look like. And that's what John calls them then and us now too. Look at verse 11, how he, how he wraps up this section. He says, beloved, meaning ancient believers, I love you. So if God so loved us in this way, like I've just described, if God so loved us, the sending love that he just talked about, what, what, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, we ought to love one another. So you're not going to repeat what Jesus did, but you're going to reenact a form of it with one another. We also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So 
So when this kind of love, when it's defined this way, when it happens, we can have assurance, that's what he's saying, that God is with us as we do it by faith, that God is in us by his Holy Spirit when this love takes place among us. John doesn't give a ton of concrete application after this, like, well, it has to look like this. I think he, he means for us by the power of the Spirit and prayer and the Word to flesh this out in community, what this looks like. But there's a ton of biblical data about what this should look like. And it started, so we might be asking the question, so, okay, so what do we do now? Great question. You should always ask that question. Well, let's just start back at the beginning of Christianity. You see, right from day one, when Jesus initiates the first church with his first disciples, what does he say to them? Does he say, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in your comfort zones. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere. It's the opposite of what he says, right? He says, go. Go. Make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to say to all that I've commanded. And be assured, I'm with you till the very end. But that, that's the verb. Go. Don't stay. Be like me. Be sent. Right? That's how, I mean, that's why we sit here this morning, Right? Had those guys not taken that seriously 2,000 years ago, you wouldn't be here today. We live a long, long way from Jerusalem. You feel that? We stand on their shoulders. They are the, the great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on. But remember, that's, you, you sit here today because people have been sent It's just normal Christianity being sent. Normal Christianity giving of yourself for the sake of love of others. Like being pushed out of your comfort zone, go to a new place. Normal Christianity. It's like Justin and Laurel selling their house, leaving their kids, going to Ecuador. There's a huge need in Ecuador. Like, we'll go. It's not comfortable. They've endured a lot. But it's so good. And they would say, every second of the day, they would say, it's worth it. Not easy. It's totally worth it. Totally worth it. It's a huge need. Like we had a huge need. So God sent himself in love to us. So John says, live like that. Live like, like God lives towards you. You live that way towards others. So huge need, Ecuador, Justin Laurel say, sign me up, we're going, we're being sent. Comfortable? No, never. Worth it? Always. Huge need. In, in North Africa, huge need. Zero gospel witness for the most part where our people are right now in North Africa. Zero gospel witness. That's the definition of a huge need spiritually. They go. Totally not comfortable, totally worth it. Huge need in Madison. We need more of a gospel witness in this city. That's why we plant churches. That's why we plant city groups, right? Like I started this church with two other pastors, one of which is Nate Hobart, which you have, a lot of you know and, and seen. And, and man, we, we, we lived life together as pastors for four years before we planted Redeemer City Church. 
And when we sent him out for the sake of love of this city to have another gospel witness in another place in this city, that was personally uncomfortable for me because I, I don't see Nate as often. I love Nate. He's one of my brothers. That's hard. You've got to work through that. Worth it. 100% worth it. God provides. God always provides. Same thing in our city groups. It's so easy in our city groups to just have this kind of gravitational pull towards Christian cul-de-sac. Like we worked hard to get to know each other. We're starting to click. Like don't mess with my city group, right? But that's not Christianity. It's not. It's just not. Christianity has never been stay put, stay the same. You know what happens when we stay put and stay the same? Typically what happens? We start to eat each other. I mean, that's, that's the history of fundamentalist Christianity, where it's like the world is all bad. We're just going to stay put and wait, wait for Jesus to return, and, and the world bad, we're good. You know what happens to those churches? They start to eat each other. It's when you have a mission outside of yourself, a, a place for your love for God to terminate outside of yourself where things start to get really healthy. Same with our city groups, right? Man, we, we need more of a gospel witness. We need more of a place for, for more leaders to be developed so they can be sent. We need people that are becoming Christians to come in and have a place to be discipled. If we just have a commitment to stay the same and just to never branch out, never to be sent, how is that going to happen? It would just be looking at what happened in the ancient church and what John is calling to. And just being like, eh, we'll let them do it, but we're going to be different. I'm really thankful that those first disciples didn't just stay put in Jerusalem, evidenced by here I sit in Madison, Wisconsin, but I don't want to reflect that in my life. No, man, that's, that's not Christianity. Here's one that, 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 like, can even be hit more close to home. Like, what if my kids take real seriously, like, the preaching that we do about the need among the nations, like, I hope that some of you hear that, maybe even this morning, and go, yeah, I'm ready to push out of the comfort zone. I want to be sent. Sign me up. It's worth it. Is it uncomfortable? Sure. But so worth it for the sake of love. I'm going to love the way I've been loved. But here's the deal. How about not my kids? Like, you all can do it, but my kids, they, they can stay. And man, when they have grandbabies, oh, squishy little grandbabies, Oh, and, I, and maybe I only get to see them once a year because they're over in India or who knows where. That's, that, that's hard for me. Is that worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely it's worth it. God will provide. He always does. He said, I will be with you to the very end as you go. What that means is provision. My presence is what you need. I will be with you. When you're missing those grandkids because your kids took you seriously and they moved halfway across the world for the sake of the nations, believe me, I will provide. You don't know how yet, but I will. What about sending your money? It's a sacrifice of love. It's a great way to make this text come alive, right? 
What about short-term trips that we have at our church? Man, fund those trips. It's so worth it. How about giving to adoptions or, or foster care that might happen in our community? Great way to be generous. I mean, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here at this point, but the list could go on and on, right? All of that is just a form of sending, a form of sending that looks like God's sending love. God's love is a sending love for the sake of loving others. He's just saying, look at how you've been loved. The love of God is made manifest in this, that Christ was sent for your salvation, for your benefit. So you can't repay him. It's not like a repaying of a debt. That's not this. It's just by faith. I recognize that. Thankful for it. And I believe when God says, do likewise, that it's going to give glory to him and joy to me. And so it's like, man, I'm in. I'm in. This is what love looks like. It looks like sending. It looks like sending. Might be sending slash spending of our time, willing to hold relationships, all of them with an open hand. You know? It's like, um, you guys hear me say it all the time. This is just another form of it. Like, we aren't trying to keep, I mean, I love having a big crowd this morning. I love that you all are here. But none of you are mine as a pastor. Like, as elders, we don't, believe that like this isn't some kind of cult where you can't leave right it's not what this is you can go to another church the kingdom of god is so much bigger it's even stupid that i say it but it, it needs to be said so much bigger than the vine obviously so we can have an open hand with relationships you want to be sent absolutely because it's not about me it's not about us You want to be a blessing someplace? Absolutely. So here's the thing that I'm deeply encouraged by. We are doing this. We've been doing this for 12 and a half years as a church. I'm so thankful for it. So this isn't like a, a message of like shame on you, like get better, tr do more, try harder. It's just a message of let's just keep doing what God is doing. I see this text alive in us. So it's just a call, like just keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. It's so worth it. It's so good. Let's keep doing it. What could be better? God's love is ascending love for the sake of loving others. And we're the recipients of it, and so we reflect it. And when that happens, the world's probably going to see something unique in us. And we're going to have the opportunity to tell them, it's not about me. It's about what God has done. Can I tell you what God has done that you could participate in? that you could know, that you could experience. Your sins are forgiven. The wrath of God is removed from you for your sin. To know that you have a, a, a heavenly father that's adopted you and brought you into his family. A purpose in life that's so much better than just like the, the raise at work or getting the better house or whatever. That's what we're about. This is what John is calling us to in his text today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it shapes us. I pray that you would continue to give us ears to hear, eyes to see. May this continue to be alive among us. We thank you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see if we have time for a couple questions.
That's a great theological question from my friend Jordan that I am not going to answer right now. But like just, I'll read it. Uh, no one has ever seen God. How do we reconcile this apparent inconsistency when in Scripture we do see examples of God being seen by others, like Jacob wrestling with God, or even many seeing Jesus who is God? So that requires a detailed and uh, precise answer, one for which I'm, A, not equipped for right now, in this moment right now, and B, it would take too long. And so I'm going to answer that this week, Okay. With all these questions, I'm not afraid to say, and anybody else who's up here preaching should never be afraid to say, I don't know right now, but we're, we'll put some work in on that and, and get an answer to that question. It's a really good question. Um, second question, for newer people at our church, who are Justin and Laurel? Yes, thank you. Um, there are a lot of new people at our church. So Justin and Laurel are, um, Justin used to be an elder at our church, and Laurel was on staff at our church. Um, kind of in sort of kind of the role like Jackie has now a few differences but um, they went to Ecuador to be a part of a ministry that seeks to develop healthy church leaders and church planters in the nation of Ecuador where there is a theological famine uh, a famine of healthy churches not necessarily a famine of um, there's probably a lot of different ways to measure this but not necessarily a famine of the gospel in the same way as there is in North Africa um, but there's a huge need for healthy churches and healthy leaders compared to maybe what we might have here in Madison. And so they were sent to be part of a ministry called Compassion Connection that, that seeks to raise up and send out healthy leaders and church planters. And they do that through theological education and other forms of training of which I get to be a part of. I go down and like do like a, teach like a, think of like a lay seminary class once a year. I get to go do that. And lots of other guys do that as well. And they run them through like a three-year program of theological education um, that seeks to really develop them. So it's a beautiful ministry, and they are overseeing that now uh, in Ecuador. And so that's who Justin and Laurel are. There's a picture of them, uh, one of the pictures out there in the lobby in front of the big Ecuadorian mountains that are so beautiful. And so you'll be hearing more about them if you're new. Um, we, des we desire to make disciples among neighbors and nations at the Vine and so um, they are part of that nation side of things in Ecuador. So thank you for the reminder. 